The automotive world is evolving. As the era of the internal combustion engine winds down and new technologies are introduced, new leaders will emerge in the automotive landscape. The EV Power Podcast by RPM News takes you behind the headlines as your guide to this new generation of sustainable transportation. Hey everybody, welcome to the EV Power Podcast brought to you by RPM News Weekly. My name is Peter. With me as always is Rich. Rich, how are things going? Pretty good. Been an exciting week here on the EV front. Yeah, lots of uh, news to talk about, and that's something we find ourselves saying a lot, is lots of EV news to talk about. Uh, this week, Ford unveiled their their plan for the electrification of the European market, or their European market, and uh, Jaguar is talking basically the world, what their their whole plan for the brand is worldwide, as, as well as, of course, Land Rover, which is tied to that uh, as well. Well, and we've also got the news from Hyundai that came out uh, on the release of the new uh, refreshed Kona Electric. Uh, Also, uh, we've got some other news from them on the Santa Fe, but I think we'll get to the Santa Fe maybe later on, and we can probably start out with a Kona Electric. Now, you attended an online Zoom meeting? Yeah, that's right. Uh, That was uh, actually earlier today. Lots of people showed up. Lots of uh, folks in the press, all all from the uh, East Coast, I think. Uh, roughly about seventy-five people on the call, and uh, of course, uh, Hyundai really came through. They had some of their reps, uh, you know, ready to to take on us. There was actually more than one. It wasn't a, you know sort of a, a singular speaker. Uh, they sort of divided up uh, the different chores based on the cars and, and, and different aspects of of their production. So it sounds like it was very similar to, uh, like if we go to the New York Auto Show, where they'll have a couple different experts come on and talk about different sort of parts of the car. You know, they'll have somebody come on and talk about the, the car itself and, and you know, where, where it's aimed and the lifestyle Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, depending on the car, and then they'll have a drivetrain expert come on with something like that. Is that what? Yeah, pretty much. You know, they ha- it was hosted by Derek Joyce, uh, but they started off with uh, their uh, someone from the production and planning on SUVs, a fellow named Melvin uh, Batista, uh, where they uh, got into the Kona. Uh, you know, they're still in the first generation of the Kona. Uh, this is a, a significant refresh, though. Uh, the car is going to be a little bit longer now. And of course, they talked about the whole lineup of Kona, both the uh, internal combustion engine versions and also the EV. But we're going to skip right over into the the EV since that's what we're all about here on EV Power Podcast. Uh, not a lot has changed as far as uh, what's happening uh, in the performance side of it, uh, referring especially to its range and uh, you know the, the the electrical components that they're using. Um, much more has uh, it has to do with the, the visual aspect. Uh, the front end is very different, uh, and and perhaps even more importantly for for people who are going to be riding in the vehicle, this is that the uh, suspension system has seen some definitive improvements. You know, and the noise in the vehicle has been reduced significantly. So the, you know that's a, that's a pretty good thing. I mean, a lot of times people think of electric vehicles as being. Other than Tesla, of course, uh, you know, they, they, they've come to think of them as these quirky little cars. Uh, you know, the Kona is a small, a compact SUV, but you know, there's a lot more to the vehicle than simply being just small and electric. It does get 258 miles uh, on a full charge, and its output, uh, if you translate the kilowatts to 
horsepower come out, comes out to just over 200 horsepower and a significant amount of torque too, you know, just running at uh, 291 pound-feet of torque. So uh, it, it uses a lithium uh, ion polymer battery, which uh, I guess any of the electric vehicles these days, uh, most of them, if you're going to talk about uh, longer range, they're going to have a lithium, lithium ion battery in it. Uh, but it was good news. It was good to, good to see this. Uh, apparently, they're doing well with, with the Kona, enough to you know push it through a, a refresh. Uh, you get a little bit more room in the back seat too, so so that's that's a big convenience for a lot of people. So it moved quite, you know, it, things moved along pr- pretty well with, with with the talk. Yeah. So one thing I noticed you talk about the the front end styling is that they finally getting over the idea that, that these cars have to have a grill. <laughs> uh, well, I'm serious. Like, every, even if they don't have a grill, they have a fake grill. It's like I don't know why automakers can't get past that that whole. I think we've talked about this before, actually. Uh, you know, Tesla, of course, they 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 came out with their own style. They didn't. They weren't handed sort of a a signature grill like you know BMW. What's BMW going to do? They everything's based on that kidney grill and all the styling goes back through their history with that and and even at like alfa romeo and in lexus a, a lot of these these brands have their distinctive grills uh with with the kona ev they sort of finally got away from that idea that it has to have a grill it has sort of a you know the front end has a little bit of curve to it you could tell it's been like optimized for wind resistance they called that a grill that they had, uh, a dimpled grill. Uh, it's been kind of, like you said, it's been replaced in a certain way. Uh, so it's got a more sleek uh, aerodynamic look to it. Uh, you do have the uh, charge port door up in the front as well. As I say, that, that last generation had sort of a, a stainless or like a chrome mm-hmm. trim that framed the top of that dimpled grill, as you called it. So it gave it. It still kind of gave it an appearance that it had a grill. I mean, that's completely gone. I think that's pretty bold for, for an automaker at this point. You know, that isn't Tesla to, to kind of switch. Yeah. Well, you know what is that? You know, it's sort of in line with what we were, we started off with tonight. Is that all the exciting news that's happening and more of it and more often uh, that we're hearing. And I think that what's happening is, is that it's a conditioning of, of the mind that is happening, and we're beginning to realize that some of the old uh, iconic things that we uh, are accustomed to seeing with, with a vehicle are going to be a bit different. Uh, granted, that you know, there's not a, 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 a whole lot of visual difference between the uh, internal combustion engine uh, Kona and, and the electric uh, visually. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, in general, you know, when you look at a profile, there's, there's a lot that looks the same. But un- underneath that, all that, uh, and by getting away uh, with a, the front end being a bit different, I think that that's also sort of signals that they're 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 moving forward with this in, in a way that's very positive. Uh, so I, I'm ex- I'm excited about it. Right, and and this is sort of I imagine this is going to be the last generation of this car because they do have the the Ionic Five coming up, and that's that debut actually happens next week. So I gotta I wonder if they're going to shift now into something that's that's more purpose built. Whether the Kona gets replaced or or um, wow, only one brand, only one generation then, because this is still the first generation of the car. Well, yeah, but I don't I don't know. See if if the icon if the Ionic is going to become an, an EV brand, then where does the Kona f- you know fall in the lineup? Because they, they're 
I mean, the Ionic is a little bit bigger, but I, I don't think that's much bigger. And then the Kona is going to have pretty tough composition with the, you know, the, the, the new bolts that are coming out, you know, price-wise and mileage-wise. And, 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 of course, Tesla, you know, they just lowered the price on the Model Y and the Model 3. So now they're all pretty close in the same, you know, they're all in the same ballpark. And, and of course, with the Tesla, you get more more stated range, whether it turns out to be actual range is, you know, mileage may vary. But the, um, you know, there's a lot of competition coming for the Kona. And it, even within within Hyundai, you know, within inside the brand, not even just saying, you know. Well, here's uh, an interesting thing to note. Uh, they did throw up a slide today, which had their uh, competitors or how or how they view their competitors, and in that group. And granted, this is not all uh, EVs that we're talking about here right now. Uh, their primary competitive set they consider the uh, Chevy Trailblazer, the Honda HRV, the Jeep Renegade. Uh, the Toyota CHR is their primary competitors uh, uh, with the Kona. Uh, their secondary, uh, to me, made made a, maybe a little bit more sense. Although, although I think in that first group, the Jeep Renegade uh, makes some sense to me. Uh, the Subaru Crosstrek they put in their secondary competitive set. Uh, Mazda CX-3 in the Ford EcoSport and Nissan Kicks. Uh, but you know th- that's not EV. That's just looking at the Kona as a name, as a as as a model. In general, so you know, so it's like who are they looking to compete with? Uh, I think that uh, that kind of tells you something about what they plan and how they're looking at this uh, this uh, uh, vehicle. Uh, so let's see. So I mean, they they do list a few of the uh, some of the things to note for differences. Uh, the electric gets a 17-inch alloy wheel. Uh, you've got 18-inch in the other versions. And uh, it's got a high-mounted uh, center console, uh, shift-by-wire gear selector, uh, and as I said before, the, the front uh, grill-mounted charge door. So it, it, there's a new look to it. Uh, and like I said, a little bit longer. Most of that length increases in the overhangs. Yeah, I don't know. It seems kind of small to go up against like some of those competitors you mentioned, but uh, you know, who might argue? <laughs> I guess they do their research. Well, you, well, you know, one one thing that I found that was kind of interesting is that they made it a point to talk about how they're they're referencing a when they talk about charge times, they're referencing a vehicle that's down to just ten percent rather than down to zero percent. Apparently, with the the idea that most people don't bring their car down to the zero charge simply <laughs> simply because then they'd be calling a, a calling a tow company to, to tow their car. Uh, yeah. So so they they are giving you a, a, a I guess a, a more realistic view as to how long it's going to take you to charge the car. If you've got a level two uh, standard charger uh, and you're at ten percent, it's going to take nine hours and 15 minutes to charge to 100 uh, percent which is not too in- inviting for most people but i think what's happening really is that they're looking at the idea that you're going to try to find a level three quick charge uh, and if you've got a level three that's a 50 kilowatt level three you can charge from 10 percent to 80 percent in 64 minutes uh, if it's a level three with 100 kilowatts You'll charge in 47 minutes from 10% to 80%. Uh, so uh, those are kind of interesting numbers. They're, they're probably not the highest of the, 
uh, the, the most outstanding that you know would stick stick out. Uh, but uh, I think in general, you know, uh, here's one thing that I was kind of kind of curious. We're talking about competitive set. In a certain way, I, I guess in my mind, I always kind of figured the you know that this would be a card that competes with the Nissan Leaf. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Especially size wise. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Uh, but they didn't have it. They didn't have it listed in the in that group. Uh, yeah, and especially like the new leaf, which is itself was was just um, updated a, a couple of years ago. Uh, I think that's a pretty underrated car when it comes to EVs. Uh, considering you know Nissan, you know they they were pretty bold. They put that car out there when uh, there wasn't a lot a lot of competition, you know, and they and they've updated it over the years. I think they only updated it once actually, but it's gotten different battery packs and and uh, the Kona actually. I think best the Leaf though in, in, in EPA estimated range because the Leaf only offers up to 226 miles uh, on a charge, and uh, I think that's optional. Mm-hmm. And, and, but you know the Leaf has a as a, a less um, the, the starting price is, is lower though. So I mean I guess there's that. Well, why don't we cap this off on the Kona uh, with just a, a quick reference to uh, the trim levels and what you might be getting that uh, is considered very important in today's vehicles. Uh, they, they're offering just two trim levels on the electric version. You get a few more trims if you go with the gasoline versions. And uh, you've got an SEL and you've got a limited. There's a convenience package. It's op- optional on the SEL, which will add a sunroof and uh, battery warming system. But what I really like about the idea that you can get into the entry-level model and they've got the standard SmartSense safety features and con- and some convenience features, uh, including the blind blind spot and rear cross traffic uh, collision avoidance assist. It's it's more than just the alert. You actually get collision avoidance. Uh, you know, if something happens to begin to cross your path, it'll actually uh, break for you. Uh, you've got uh, uh, the convenience features like automatic temperature control and a proximity key. If you go with, uh, oh, and if you get the convenience package, you get the uh, power driver's seat and heated front seats. The Limited, which is probably the one that a lot of people will favor. And uh, although I'm not going to give you pricing here because we weren't really getting pricing on this. These are going to be 22 models that probably won't be out until sometime in the spring. And uh, so there there was no EPA on them. Although if you go back to previous EPAs on the Kona, which should should probably fall in line with, with this one, uh, uh, you're going to be getting uh, 120 mpge miles per gallon equivalent in combined rating. Uh, in the city, you'll be able to get up maybe even as high as 132 miles per gallon equivalent, which is pretty outstanding. That's that's that's, that's notable. Uh, but if you get, go up into the limited version, uh, not only the leather seats and ventilated front seats, uh, you get a 10.25 touchscreen. Uh, smart cruise control. You got a heated steering wheel. So uh, some really nice, uh, nice little extras. So uh, all in all, I'd say it's a nice little package. Uh, it was great to have Hyundai give us an opportunity to get a closer look at it, uh, sort of a first-hand look, and that was much appreciated. Uh, but you've got some news about Ford, and, and I believe that you're driving a Ford uh, HEV. 
this week? Uh, yeah, yeah. Before I start, I just want to just, <laughs> I know you try to wrap it up, but I just want to mention, uh, I was talking about the Ionic launching, and then, we, you know, I had mentioned what, what's going to happen within the brand. But it just occurred to me that, that the Ionic is actually launching as a brand. It's not just going to be a model of the Hyundai anymore. It's sort of like Genesis. You know, Genesis spawned off from Hyundai, and now it's its own brand. So Ionic's actually going to be a brand uh, that's going to be ground up all EV. So wow, that was uh, quick. It's going to be interesting to see how that. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, and, and then you talked about you know the EPA on on the the Kona electric. Now I'm wondering if that new front fascia will actually improve mileage. I mean, not by a lot, I, I assume, but. I wonder if it'll actually pick up a little bit of uh, efficiency with that new front end. You would think. Uh, they're saying it's more aerodynamic. Uh, I guess the point of being more aerodynamic is that you'll get better efficiency. Uh, yeah, so it'd be interesting to see when those numbers come out when we talk about it. Uh, you know, We'll have to touch back on it. But yeah, as you mentioned, I, I am driving a... Um, I am driving a, a Ford that's electrified. I don't want to say that it's, uh, you know, uh, all electric, because it's not all electric yet, but... This week I'm driving the the Ford F-150 with the Power Boost Hybrid setup, uh, which you can get all the way across the line. You don't have to buy a certain, which is nice. You don't have to like get the top trim just to get the hybrid setup or buy it within a specific trim. You can actually buy a fairly base truck with this setup. Uh, I don't want to talk about it too much, obviously, because I've only driven it for a little bit. I have I've only had it for the day so far. Uh, I'll have it till next week. But um, yeah, it's interesting so far. So good. I mean, it's. Um, it's pretty smooth, which I, I you know, I'd expect. And, and the F-150 hybrid has like a 35 kilowatt hour electric motor and, of course, regenerative braking. Um, and, and it also has, interestingly, the, the Pro Power onboard uh, generator, which I'm, I've got to try. I'm going to I think I'm going to use it to like when I vacuum the thing out, I'll uh, <laughs> have to use it or find some reason to use that thing. Uh, so it's got this like neat little interface in the bed. And it's tied into the you know the hybrid battery in it. Yeah, uh, that would, you may have some opportunities up there in the cold outreaches of New England. <laughs> yeah, I have to find somebody who needs a jump start or something. Uh, yeah, so we'll touch upon that you know maybe next week after I've had a little seat time in it. And it and it's a, it's a loaded truck. Like you know the hybrid part aside, if you were to walk in the dealership and say, "I need everything you can put in this truck," this truck has everything. Like it, it's loaded uh, i mean it has that that neat little the work desk that they you can flip the console lid forward in the shifter the shifter will actually go down into the console so you can have space to mm-hmm. lay flat uh, hey hey it, quick question is this a production model or you know is this available at dealerships at this as we speak i think it is yeah i think that well the hybrid is it should be matter of fact i was just reading a story that um before we went on the uh, the air here i was just reading a story about down in Texas, Ford is actually trying to um, help out the, the the crisis that's going on in Texas, which is weird to say. Uh, so Ford is asking dealerships to volunteer these trucks to use as generators if needed by, like, emergency services. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, it'll be interesting to see if that happens. Uh, you know, they've got... Uh, you know, Texas is a pretty big truck market, so I imagine there's probably a lot of these F-150s hanging around out there. But... Um, you know, again, we'll have to talk about it later and get into the mileage. You know, at the moment, I'm getting about 19 miles per gallon, but it is, um, it's been 20 degrees, so I'm not going to knock that. I think right. the, EPA esti- the EPA estimated is 24-24, so it's 24 city, 24 highway. So 
I, I'm sure if I tried, I could probably get into that range. But right as of right now, it's just been been cold all day. Well, this is but, really um, significant. This is really significant for Ford. You know, they've yeah, the, I, I, they've they've got the Mach E out there now. Uh, they introduced an all electric transit van last year. Uh, so, and and it kind of is a signal uh, where Ford has also talked about uh, being going all electric. Uh, and they've set, uh, at least for their European market, they've set a goal of by 2030 to go be all electric. Uh, making, make, of course, making a lot of sense because of some of the demands in the European market uh, as you go from country to country. Uh, but but they'll be, they'll be uh, I can't imagine that their U.S. market will fall far behind that. I, I don't think so. The problem is, see, now in Europe, they're going to go 20, all electric by 2030. I mean, in the U.K., I know for sure. I think with the American market, the challenge for Ford is going to be the F-150, ironically. Uh, you know, if you, if you think of the American market, the, the, they live and die by the F-150 as far as sales go. Um, you got the F-150, and then you have the Explorer, which is the Explorer is... Um, you know, that is like the, right now, the top choice as far as fleet vehicles go when you're talking about police departments. and But I think that's going to be hard for them in the U.S., and that's probably why they're holding out and not committing fully to the U.S., because the F-150 transition's got to go well. Otherwise, they, they're just going to lose a ton of money uh, if they if they were to switch the F-150 and then, it, and then all that... All the, the diehards who aren't going to go EV go to Dodge or, or, or Ram, I guess I should say, or, or Chevrolet. Well, the irony there would be that even if their, their customer base went to other manufacturers, those other manufacturers are going to soon be towing the line as well. Um, right. Already GM is, is indicating that they're, they're serious about that. And eventually I, I would imagine that Ram is going to have to do something about it. Uh, you know, it's 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 at least in terms of 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 what we're hearing in the politic of it all is is that there's a sense of inevitability uh, to this this changeover, and yeah, uh, and and so you know, I know that we, I, I I can almost hear people arguing me about that. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll never get rid of my you know gas. You know, but eventually, as in California. Uh, you're not going to be able to sell new cars unless you, it's an electric car by, by 2035. So uh, where is that going to position any of the uh, manufacturers that are trying to, uh, who are not you know, trying to move forward with this? So, so yeah. that would be something. I mean, in, in, but in terms of investment, uh, what I've read is that Ford is already, uh, they've upped their investment in electric and autonomous vehicles to $29 billion. Uh, where they had previously uh, committed to about eleven and a half billion uh, through next year, uh, they're going to uh, you know more than double that, uh, extending this out until like twenty twenty five. So that's that's pretty decent. But how much of this stuff is actually just in Euro- the European market for them? Which a lot of times you know, we just sort of put that aside, other than you know the European vehicles that come to the United States. Uh, but in the European market, uh, I mean, they've got a big deal going with uh, Volkswagen uh, to use their modular platform for electric vehicles. So that's that's a you know a, a commitment, and uh, 
you know, so where do they go with that? If, they, if they're successful with vehicles in Europe that are built on this platform, are those vehicles going to be seen in the American market as replacements for some of their other vehicles? Uh, not that they have a whole lot of other vehicles that are not SUVs, and I'm not sure how capable that, that platform is. I don't think it's going to be a truck platform, but I could be wrong. No, so, no I, don't, I don't think. I think you're right. I, that's going to be a whole different thing, and I think that's something that they'll definitely focus on the, Europe, the U.S. market because it's not just the F-150. It's also the Navigator. It's also the, the Expedition you know, they're they're very uh, American market only vehicles, and that that's going to be the challenge. You know, but you know, is that where the Rivian relationship comes from? You know, Rivian's doing the the SUV, um, so they're they're actually beat they're actually beating everyone to the market with an SUV, a full size SUV, like not not a a. Uh, I mean, in fact, I don't even think there is a is there a three row EV for sale in the United States at the moment. I mean, you know, have the Tesla Model X, which is you know that's sort of pricey. Uh, and that's not really an SUV. That's more like it's an SUV, but it's more like a, a, a round minivan. And then you've got the the Model Y, which is not really. There, there are uh, PHEVs, as I've kind of recently learned that that's uh, what I'm hearing everyone call it now instead of PHEV. Uh, huh. PHEV. Huh. Uh, I yeah. think that's. I think I'm, I'm, I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, anyway, I'll look into it. I'll have to change the the brain cells, you know, to begin to uh, say it that way. Uh, but just yeah. last week we were talking about the Pacifica. That's a three row, but that's not uh, fully electric. That's that's uh, yeah, not uh, fully electric. I don't think there's anything in the market that's fully electric. And, and and you're talking about you know commitment. Of course, Ford is going to completely revamp their Cologne Germany factory. I think they committed like a, a billion dollars just to that. And it's it's a big factory. Uh, matter of fact, unnecessary side note: my I have a car that was built in that factory, <laughs> uh, but uh, I have an old Capri, which is a Ford Capri. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but it was sort of like oh, yeah. the the British Mustang. And then it came to the United States under the Mercury banner in the '70s, but it wasn't a Mercury. <laughs> it was just called the Capri, kind of like you know, share is just share. Uh, it was a weird, weird, uh, weird time, I guess. We digress. <laughs> <laughs> we digress a lot, yeah. And and, and now we, talk, we mentioned Jaguar. You know, Jaguar's plans are, are pretty much in line with Ford's, except they're they're committed. Well, actually, I'm going to take that back. Jaguar sort of has the same problem now. Like like with the F-150 in the United States, you know, you got you got Land Rover. Land Rover is what Land Rover is heavy duty. Uh, you know, SUVs. I mean, granted, the lower end, of course, isn't. They're basically kind of like the Ford Explorer at that level, you know, they're nicer, but you know, they're, they're not, you know, I'm going out into the, the, the wilderness, uh, you know, of Africa. Um, uh, so Land Rover's got, I, I, I want to say they have the same problem. They, they need to build like the new Defender, which is a brand new model just came out, uh, or, or the, the discovery, you know, th- those vehicles are known for their capability. And, and they also, I imagine have a very large margin for, Land Rover, and now those vehicles to 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 switch to EV is going to be a challenge. But they're saying uh, they're going to do it by what? By twenty twenty five, they'll have six uh, because they're, they're releasing their first all electric uh, Land Rover in twenty twenty four, according to the announcement that's, that I read. And there's five others expected by twenty twenty five. That's pretty ambitious. Uh, but there, yeah. but the, but the you know the, the parent company there, Jaguar, which is they're owned by Tata, right? And 
uh, it's an Indian automaker, Tata Motors. Uh, yeah. That uh, the uh, Jaguar is probably going to be all electric by 2030. Uh, I mean, there's some. I'm hearing that by 2025, uh, there there will be all electric, or at least on the path to all electric. Uh, culminating by 2030. I, 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 I'm not sure. Maybe you've got a little bit more information on those dates there, but yeah, no, you're you're, you're on. I mean, that's pretty close. I think that they're going to start tra- transitioning by 25, and they're going to roll out new, you know, variants. I think. That, see, they're calling them when in regards to Land Rover, they're calling them variants, which leads me to believe that they're not going to get away from gas engines with Land Rover for a little bit. But you know, going back to Jaguar, yeah, I think I think you're spot on. I think it. It's uh, 2030 will be sort of the the uh, total transition, and and what they want to do is is a, is they they want to build a premium EV brand, which is you know kind of interesting. You've got uh, Tesla, and of course you've got Lucid Motors, who are now taking pre-orders in the UK, and uh, they're also looking to expand into the Middle East, which makes sense because they're you know they're backed by Saudi Arabia, so why wouldn't they want to tap into that market? Uh, I think I read that they're looking to open a store in Dubai, which I think is the only uh, area in the Middle East that Tesla has a store as well. So, uh, you know, that all kind of works, I guess. While you're mentioning Saudi Arabia, I just want to throw in a quick little pitch for Formula E, which is uh, going to start up their season, their delayed season, because, of course, the pandemic has caused a lot of interruptions to the scheduling. But they're starting up at the end of next week, and it's going to be available on CBS Sports, if I'm not mistaken. So that will be lots of fun. Uh, and uh, they'll be uh, in Saudi Arabia uh, for night races. They're going to do night races. So that, that's that's pretty interesting. Uh, so anyway, that, that's my pitch. But also, while we're on Formula E for a quick second, I don't want to divert you too much from the what you had to say on, on uh, uh, Land Rover. But uh, uh, McLaren is also jumping into Formula E. Seems to me that they, there's an article that came out uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago where they, they got like a, an option to, to join in an upcoming year. So apparently they've sort of paid their money to be uh, in the running for an opening because uh, they run with just 12 teams. So they would be there for... A, uh, a um, and uh, an option, uh, you know, to to join. Uh, and this, yeah, this was mid January. I'm just pulling up the piece right now. And then that uh, they signed an agreement uh, that grants uh, McLaren Racing an option to enter the uh, Formula E World Championship when Formula E Gen Three kicks off in Season Nine. Gen Three would be a new version of the vehicles. Uh, part of McLaren Racing, ongoing evaluation of potential new motorsport platforms. So, uh, so there you have it uh, with that. But anyway, not to diverge too far, but d- just thought I'd get some of that news in there. Yeah, no, I, uh, it's funny, you know, it all ties together. You know, uh, with Lucid Motors, of course, they also provide the batteries for the <laughs> Formula E. So it all flows together, I guess, that's, in some way or another. That's that's and that's outstanding. Uh, you see more of that. There's a, uh, Peter R- Rawlinson. He he, de- he delivered quite quite a uh, outstanding uh, talk on a video by Rivian, which you can uh, find uh, at the Rivian website. I, I highly recommend it. Sit Wait, through Rivian it. Or- 
I'm sorry, not the Coyote. You said Rivian. I'm, not, I'm or, sorry. Or? No, Lucid. I'm, I'm sorry. I said I said Rivian meant Lucid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know uh, you meant. I was just. Uh, uh, yeah. Now <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't being lucid at the moment. <laughs> now Peter Rawlinson, of course, came from uh, which company? <laughs> uh, Tesla. Jaguar. No, he Te- came from Jaguar first. Oh, from Jaguar. Huh? Okay. He, he I was, was an engineer, yeah. and he was he was uh, with Tesla too. Yeah, he he was with Tesla for the Model S launch. He was a big part of that. Uh, but he was also an engineer at Lotus, and he was a principal engineer at Jaguar. So it all goes full circle, <laughs> you know. It's all it all goes around and round. And uh, you know, I think we'll, we'll we'll probably wrap up for the night. I mean, uh, oh no, that's right. I was going to mention the uh, Land Rover. Uh, finish my point there. Uh, what, what basically what I was getting at, comparing Land Rover to the the, the higher end, you know, the, the more rugged Land Rovers versus the F one fifty is. Here you have these vehicles that have a certain expectation. They have to be rugged. They have to do their job. They have to be reliable. But they are also very high-margin vehicles. You know, I mentioned I'm driving this F-150 Limited. This truck stickers at $72,000. Now, the $72,000, and you consider that the, the base F-150 two-wheel drive work truck is like, what, $26,000? <laughs> you know, so... Uh, you know, they're risking, it's a gamble for them. It's sort of a high, it's a high, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's sort of high stakes for them, I guess, because if, if they bomb any of these cars and, and, and they lose sales, you know, they're going to be in a tight situation. And, and I think in a way is like Mercedes, you know, Mercedes with the AMG, um, they're actually sort of walking a, 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 a walking a thin line right now with AMG because AMG is like their high, high margin vehicles, but AMG is also killing them in carbon um, emissions. Oh yeah. So, so AMG is facing a tough choice right now because they're going to have to cut a, a lot of the, the, the models that, that they're putting out uh, a lot of the AMG models. They're going to have to really look at what they want to do because, because if, if they cut the AMG cars, then they cut a lot of their high margin and that's just an, an awkward spot for them to be in. But, you know, they have such an oversaturated um, lineup in, in, in these vehicles that sort of have AMG versions, AMG line versions. It, you know, it's kind of confusing almost. You have to have a, a roadmap to get through the, the AMG, you know, the Mercedes websites. And, well, you, uh, you would think, though, that with Mercedes-Benz being one of the uh, Formula E teams, uh, they they entered a little bit kind of later in the game than than many others, but uh, with them being in in Formula E, that that's going to benefit them in some form or another in terms of their performance side. Uh, I mean, all, most of the time, uh, some of this technology definitely filters down through uh, the, the entire lineup of of vehicles for manufacturers. Right. Uh, I mean, they they race they don't race just for glory. Uh, you know they 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 race because these technologies get developed and and fine tuned. So I mean, one would think that uh, uh, Jaguars had a lead uh, uh, being in Formula E since season three, and we're going into season seven now. So you know it's kind of interesting yeah. to see that. But uh, so so who knows? We'll see. We, we AMG may take on a whole different meaning in, in the next ten years. Yeah, th- I mean that's true. Uh, and, 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 you know, not, I didn't, I didn't mean to side rant in Mercedes, but actually that is sort of news this week that we didn't cover. Uh, they actually canceled the, the EQC. I don't know if you heard this, but you know, the, the Mercedes EQC, which is kind of like a smaller SUV. Of course it's, it's, uh, based on like the GLC. 
Um, so that's not coming to the United States. So again, it's like puts Mercedes in a in a weird. Like, how do they expect to contend if they keep kind of canceling these vehicles? It's like, oh, we're going to do this. Well, no, we're not going to do that there. <laughs> we're going to do that in Europe, not there. <laughs> you know, uh, even going back to like the Smart, they finally converted the Smart fully to EV, and then they they redesigned it. So it was you know a decent little car. Granted, it didn't sell a lot in the U.S., but they they finally got it straightened out, and then they they shipped it out. They didn't they don't sell it in the U.S. anymore. But uh, you know, getting back to Jaguar, I, I think that we'll we're going to end with a with a few sound bites from from the the um, the presentation that Jaguar did. I, I guess we'll let them talk about what their plans are. So uh, I'm going to have to butcher this guy's name. Uh, the Jaguar CEO, what is it? Terry? No, I'm sorry. You you, you remember what the name was? Tierra uh, Bolera. Tierra Boloro, Boloro, yeah, Tierra Boloro. See, I had written it down in my show prep, but I can't read my own writing. (laughs) So to me, it looks almost like Terry Biola. Well, I I, I, I imagine that there's a lot of people that that butcher your last name, too. Uh, Oh, yeah. No, I'm used to it. Believe me. So I I have no sympathy for anybody else. (laughs) So we're going to wrap it up. We're going to play some sound bites from that uh, Jaguar presentation by that guy who runs the company, whatever his name was. Uh, uh, Rich, uh, we'll see you all next week. Okay. Great to talk with you, Peter. All right. Have a good week, everybody. But now, the day has come to think of the future. It's our responsibility. We have always been at the avant-garde of technologies and design in luxury vehicles, and we intend to continue. Today, it's time to reimagine the next chapter for its unique business and for the two unique brands it represents, Jaguar and Land Rover. British brands steeped in a rich tapestry of timeless designs that resonate with people, brands that leave you with a smile every time you look at them, brands that create an emotional attachment, an intimacy that is truly unique on the global stage. As a proud member of the Tata ecosystem with its industrial strength and worldwide standing, we have something truly unique at Jaguar Land Rover, truly unique in the automotive industry. And now is the time to realize its potential. We have all the ingredients at our disposal to reimagine the business and the experiences our customers seek to imagine the benchmark of luxury, to lead on sustainable and quality as a business, as Jaguar and as Land Rover. We have all the ingredients to define what modern luxury means in the world of tomorrow. So today, I'm proud to launch our reimagined strategy a strategy that will see us reimagine the future of modern luxury by design through our two distinct British brands. Oversatisfying our customers is a world of true, in a world of true sustainability, will allow us to define responsible modern luxury. Together, we will design a new benchmark in environmental, societal, and community impact for luxury business. Underpinning that luxury will be the effortless convenience afforded by our connected services, the software capabilities of our vehicles, our data-driven technologies, and a radical digitalization of the entire customer journey and ownership experience. To do that, 
Jaguar Land Rover will become a more tried business, one that empowers its people, one that trusts them to disrupt at pace and with clear purpose. As a business, we will be focused on value creation, on delivering quality and profit over volume. Our vision is clear to become the creator of the world's most desirable luxury vehicles and services for the most discerning of customers. Indeed, our structure, our investments, our culture, and our focus will be designed to oversatisfy our customers at every step of their own very personal journeys. At the heart of reimagine will be the electrification of both the Jaguar and Land Rover brands. Electrification is truly exciting for us. Serenity, calmness, the smoothness of the ride, the comfort of the journey, at all ways in which we express luxury in our vehicles today. The purity of electric is the next natural step. It amplifies those central experiences, embodies everything that a modern luxury vehicle should be. It allows us to play with the material, the light, the shapes, the smells, to heighten the physical as well as visual emotions of our products. Luxury is clean. Built on separate architectures, Jaguar and Land Rover will have two clear, unique personalities. Personalities rooted in their emotionally rich histories designed to give us two distinct choices of modern luxury for our customers. Land Rover will continue to be the creator of the most capable SUV vehicles in their segment, combining world-leading design with robust engineering and innovative technologies. It will deliver modern luxury for its three families. Land Rover, offering peerless refinement for life's leaders. Discovery, delivering everyday versatility for modern families. And Defender, providing unstoppable adventure for 21st century explorers. Over the next five years, Land Rover will welcome six all-electric variants, the first of which will arrive in 2024. During that same timeline, Jaguar will have undergone a complete renaissance to emerge as a pure electric luxury brand, a dramatically beautiful portfolio of emotionally engaging designs combined with pioneering technologies will allow us to reimagine the Jaguar brand entirely, to create a new luxurious position in the markets, one that allows us to realize its unique potential, not only for our customers, but for the business as a whole. I can tell you now that that journey has already started. I can also tell you that the excitement of writing the next chapter in the history of such a powerful brand is inspiring. It is one I'm eagerly anticipating, and I know it is one all of you will enjoy too. Naturally, as part of that journey, we have to make decisions that preserve the purity of personality and the next generation electrification technologies we are developing. So, although the nameplate may be retained, the plan XJ replacement will not form part of our new focused portfolio. Reimagine will see us transition to being an electric first business, 
By the end of the decade, we will have achieved that goal, nameplate by nameplate. Every model will be available with full battery power. By this time, in addition to 100% of Jaguar cells, it is anticipated that around 60% of Land Rovers will be sold with zero tailpipe powertrains. We intend to phase out diesel from 2026 and will achieve zero tailpipe emissions by 2036. But we will not limit ourselves to pure electric. As the hydrogen economy accelerates the clean decarbonization of global industry, fuel cell technology is the logical complementary step. To ready ourselves for the expected adoption of this natural energy source in the future, we will begin testing prototype mules on UK roads this year. Our accelerated path towards electrification will contribute to our goal of becoming net zero carbon by 2039. To accelerate our path towards that date, sustainability will live at the center of everything we do. Materiality, engineering, manufacturing, supply chain, R&D, investments and services. One team globally working across all channels, all touch points of the business, the brands and the customer experience reporting to me directly. Together, we will reimagine sustainable, responsible luxury. Designing the right ecosystem is key. We are already home to thousands of software engineers within the business here in the UK, Ireland and China. Today, they represent one in four of our engineering team, a number that will only grow. Yet, this is where being part of the Tata Group is such an advantage. A parent company that is not afraid of taking bold steps especially if it is in alignment with its overall mission and strategy. We have so many of the ingredients we need from within. It's a unique opportunity for us. It's also about partnering with key industry leaders. Where others have to rely slowly on external partnership, we have natural access to some of the world's leading players in energy, technology, communication, and software. Tech businesses with market capitalizations of more than $100 billion and the responsibility for carrying 25% of all the world's internet traffic and so much more. The potential is incredible. Our potential is incredible. Translated, that means we will now embark on the Leapfrog program. We will continue to nourish our world-leading partnerships with universities, academic bodies, and innovation initiatives with UK government. We will continue to invest in advanced driver assistance systems and develop appropriate partnerships to move towards the highest level of autonomy, all to enhance the experience of the journey. Together, as part of an annual commitment of around £2.5 billion for smart investments, we will reimagine Jaguar Land Rover as a sustainable first proudly luxurious technology leader for the world. Under that digital transformation, we will bring new experiences, new levels of intimacy, and connected car services to our customers, many of which not yet even imagined. That entrepreneurial, innovative ecosystem is already underway, thanks to our InMotion team, 
Studio 107 will play a significant role as we create, pilot, and scale new mobility services from the ground up. Services like the flexible pivotal subscription model in the UK, which has achieved 750% growth during the fiscal year, leads the way. It's a proven use case, profitable and growing. Pivotal will now be extended into new markets. That's an exciting future. From a manufacturing perspective, the vision is simple, to design new benchmark standards in quality and efficiency for the luxury sector. Our architecture strategy is the central component as we progress through our product life cycles and transition to a battery-first business. To arrive there, we will employ three architectures. Two will be dedicated to Land Rover and one pure BEV platform exclusive to Jaguar. This approach will underpin our strategy of delivering very different personalities for the brands. The first to appear will be the new MLA Flex platform for Land Rover. It will deliver electrified internal combustion engines initially, but with full electric capability as we evolve our product lineup during the next five years and beyond. Joining MLA will be our BV native architecture called EMA, Electric Modular Architecture, a platform that will also support electrified state-of-the-art internal combustion engines. In order to fully transition from being a producer of IC to a battery-first business, we also need to reimagine our manufacturing operation and the associated supply chains. With a clear focus on value creation, we will right-size, repurpose, and reorganize. Simplification is the central theme here. From a manufacturing perspective, we will retain all our core plants and assembly facilities across the globe. By reorganizing, we will simplify and rationalize our sourcing. This will also allow us to accelerate investments in circular economy supply chains as part of our sustainability goals and ambitions. More detail will follow in line with the product life cycle, but I can confirm that as well as being the manufacturer of the MLA architecture, our Solihull plant will also be the home to the future advanced Jaguar BV platform. Hellwood will be the destination for the new EMA architecture. We will enhance our benefit from our footprint in Slovakia and China, which is already the most efficient plant in terms of quality as recognized by JD Power. So, what happens with Castle Bromwich? First, we will continue production of our existing nameplates to the end of their life cycle. Then, and in parallel, we are exploring opportunities to repurpose the plant, which could benefit from a consolidation of our operational footprint currently scattered across the Midlands of the UK. In conjunction, we will enhance the bespoke customization services at special vehicle operations in order to continue to offer truly personalized tailoring for clientele of both brands. Naturally, 
The journey towards electrification of our two brands requires a clear vision for our positioning on the new value chain for these technologies. In the last 12 months, we have faced the economic impact of COVID in addition to the headwinds of accelerated change for the industry and Brexit. Yet, as our latest financial results show, the evidence clearly points to a strong underlying business thanks to our brand equity in exciting markets like China and fantastic products like the new Land Rover Defender. Consolidating and massively expanding previous successful cash savings initiatives, we have recently launched a full-scale transformation program called Refocus. This is the mechanism of excellent execution at speed embedded in reimagine. A collaborative culture is critical as we steer through the changes ahead and maintain our momentum. But let me assure you, refocus is our day job. It is our new mindset. In many ways, we are helped in that journey by our size. We are a human-centric company, in many ways, human-sized among giants. This is an advantage, and now we need to use it. We will use it to act faster. We will use it to be more rigorous and disciplined. We will use it to behave and deliver like a technological company, not just say we are one. Customer-focused, obsessed to deliver in a flexible, empowered manner. This efficiency of focus will see us embark on a journey of permanent adaptation benefiting from significant efficiencies in our empowered workforce, delivering at speed and with clarity of purpose, dramatically reducing the layers of management in the company. A resized, more agile business provides us with the structure to succeed in tomorrow's world. The central nervous system of our new structure will be radical digital transformation. Data is the backbone of new products, the life cycle of existing products, the quality of our manufacturing, the oxygen of our supply chain, of the support and services we provide or could provide to our customers in the future. And finally, there will be a rationalization of our non-manufacturing infrastructure footprint in the UK to further aid our frictionless cooperation and agile decision-making. The Advanced Product Creation Center in Gaydon, Warwickshire, will become the symbol of this effort, the heart of the reactor of our business. More and more teams will move in to one central location. The executive team and I have already moved in. Bringing all these ingredients together, we are on the path towards double-digit EBIT margin and positive cash flow with an ambition to achieve positive cash net of debt by 2025. Ultimately, our will is to be one of the most profitable luxury manufacturers in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, reimagine is our clear strategy. And let me assure you, now we are going to run in a succession of sprints. We have designed a roadmap that provides a clear direction for the business and our two brands. We will become a more dry business with a simplified manufacturing operation. 
a business that looks up to its partners, including within the Tata Group, in order to leapfrog forward with our ambitions in sustainability, in technologies, and in connected services and digitalization for our customers. Together, we will reimagine Jaguar as a pure electric luxury brand with a new portfolio of beautifully emotive designs and next generation technologies. We will reinforce Land Rover's world leadership in the luxury SUV segment with the purity of electrification. Two brands, two distinct personalities, both connected by the elements of quality and sustainability that underpin Jaguar Land Rover's future of modern luxury by design. This is our reimagined strategy. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the EV Power podcast. If you'd like to hear more automotive news that goes behind the headlines, check out our other podcast, RPM News Weekly, or visit us at rpmnewsweekly.com.